Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Sorry, folks, no good martinis today. We've got a couple of bad ones and one big crazy one, and I suppose the bads have a tint of crazy to them as well. But, uh, Jim, uh, as you pointed out in the morning, Joel, today, thanks to our Three Martini Lunch listeners for leaving some great reviews for us over at iTunes. If you love the podcast or even if you like it, uh, just uh, drop a, a quick comment there. It really does help us. And uh, another quick reminder that uh, you can now hear us on the eavesdropping devices like Alexa and Google Home. So uh, we're in the 21st century. Yeah. By the way, for all listeners, as we said, if you love us, leave a comment. If you like us, leave a comment. If we're three stars or above, weigh in. <laughs> if you don't like us and you're listening anyway, why are you doing this to yourself? But secondly, if you if you think we're like two stars or less, eh, you can skip it. Don't, it's not worth the effort. That's right. That's right. Uh, your time is valuable. <laughs> All right. So let's start with our first bad martini here, Jim. And this is kind of a two-pronger, starting with the AP. Bernie Sanders joins Vice President Joe Biden atop many polls of prospective Democratic primary voters. But Sanders has something Biden doesn't yet have, a campaign operation raking in cash. The senator from Vermont, who showed surprising fundraising heft in his upstart challenge to Hillary Clinton four years ago, raised more than $18 million in the 41 days between his official campaign launch and March 31st, giving him $28 million cash on hand. Those totals are expected to lead the Democratic field, putting pressure on other heavyweights, including Biden, who is still deciding whether to run. And uh, the previous high that we had seen before this, Jim, was Kamala Harris. I think she's somewhere around $12 million. A lot of folks surprised by the $7 million raised by South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. So money rolling in, uh, the donors starting to, to pick their favorites here. But in addition to Bernie leading the fundraising field, you've got Phil Klein over at the Washington Examiner, pointing out that Bernie could actually be the next president of the United States. He's not saying it's going to happen or it's even likely, but it's probably a a greater possibility than a lot of us think. He says, though the campaign will take a lot of twists and turns over the next year and a half, ultimately it boils down to two questions. Could there be a scenario in which Sanders captures the Democratic nomination? And if he does, could there be a scenario in which he beats President Trump head-to-head? Breaking those questions down independently, one would have to answer yes to both. Before going any further, it's worth dispensing with the plausibility issue, the idea that Sanders simply can't win because it would be too absurd, given that nearly every professional analyst said the same thing about the possibility of Trump winning. It's worth shelving such assumptions about what's realistic in modern politics and just look at the possibility on its merits. So, Jim, money obviously does not lead to electoral success necessarily. It certainly helps. But Bernie Sanders uh, caught the fancy of the left part of the Democratic base in 2016, and it doesn't look like these people have gone anywhere, regardless of how many folks are joining the field. And uh, if he's the nominee, he's going to have a shot at being the next president. You know, Greg, a wise voice emailed to me this morning saying, you know, I kind of liked him when he was giving Hillary Clinton fits. (laughs) But now he's not. 
<laughs> and now all of a sudden you got to look at this. I, I, I think it's it, the assessment there is pretty accurate that we may be underestimating Sanders uh, likelihood of winning the nomination. It is worth noting that both both you know, state level polls and national polls. And yes, it's really, really early. And yes, fundraising, as I wrote in the corner yesterday, is not really the most important measuring stick right now. It can be an interesting measuring stick of, of grassroots enthusiasm, um, but it doesn't mean any of these folks are necessarily going to drop out anytime soon. I went back and checked. Jim Webb, Martin O'Malley, uh, Lincoln Chafee, they did not raise a lot of money. And I think I looked, Jim Gilmore raised less than a million and he didn't get out till after New Hampshire. So none of these folks are going to quit because, oh, I can't afford, you know, you can operate on, on a shoestring s- staff and just travel around to Iowa and New Hampshire getting invited to stuff because people feel obligated to invite you. So but the field's not going to change very much because of the fundraising thing. But observe, Bernie Sanders now has a spigot that he can basically turn on whenever he needs to and probably get a steady supply of money. And in politics, it's usually better to have more money than to have less money. Uh, but you look at the national polling, and yeah, you know, Biden is at top. Usually he's a couple of points ahead of Sanders. I think it's safe to say after the last week or two that Joe Biden does not look as solid as he did a while ago. We know that there's probably going to be an endless you know, line of women who are able to say, yeah, actually, he smelled my hair, too. Or, yeah, he kind of you know nuzzled up against my ear uh, and things like that. Now, will that derail the Joe Biden uh, candidacy? I don't know. It, you know. I think it seems like out of, a, out of all the things Joe Biden has done, it seems kind of silly that all of a sudden now – this would be considered something that makes him, you know, disqualifies him from the presidency. But let's also remember that in 1988, Joe Biden ran, did not succeed. That was when the plagiarism charges arose. And in 2008, he ran for president. And really, not only did he not succeed, he, he was one of those one to two percent back of the pack kind of guys. Um, Saturday Night Live did a pretty good series of sketches in which he and Chris Dodd were basically the same guy running for the same job on the same issues with the same slogans. Uh, and each one kind of canceling each other out. So if Bi- let's say Biden doesn't chooses not to run, or Biden just you know gets in and he kind of flops, well, it's very easy to see Sanders becoming the uh, the front runner. And it's also worth noting that a bunch of these candidates are kind of trying to be the Sanders for this year. Um, you could argue whether Elizabeth Warren is kind of running in the same lane or the same message. Um, I-, I think you can kind of say that you know. Uh, the, the, everybody wants to chase the progressives and, and the hard left of the party. Bernie Sanders has already gotten a whole bunch of these folks to vote for him already. Um, is he the oldest candidate? Yes. Is he too old to be president? I think that's a pretty, I think there's a, there's a decent uh, uh, you know, pile of evidence to make that case. But, you know, Bernie Sanders is also got a certain amount of authenticity to him. Nobody, nobody thinks this is a matter of him tailoring what he's saying to appeal to the tastes of the Democratic grassroots today. This is exactly who he is for the last 10 years, last 20 years, last 30 years, last 40 years. Bernie Sanders is the unchanging man. And you know what I'm sure you know, you know what else, Greg? He will not change. No matter what counter evidence occurs, no matter how socialism fails, no matter what happens in Venezuela or anyone else, he will not change his views on any issue. Um, And that will have a certain amount of appeal in this primary. So he should not be underestimated. Maybe Republicans need to get a little bit nervous um, that he could be our Corbyn, uh, to kind of use the UK comparison, that this guy who always got to seem like this wacky Larry David character could end up at the end, at, at when all is said and done in this Democratic primary, which I think is going to be like Mad Max, um, that in the end, in Thunderdome, it's the crazy old guy who ends up becoming the nominee. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the stakes for 2020 get much higher because you have 
uh, a Democratic House that may or may not continue beyond the next election. Um, the Senate is always going to be very tight. You think the Republicans have a pretty good chance of keeping a majority, but you don't have any guarantee. And then, of course, you got Trump versus Sanders. And, you know, I think also, by the way, I think in that scenario, um, a little bit more attention ends up going to uh, uh, Howard Schultz if he's running as an independent, and, you know, the nice moderate cup of coffee in the middle. <laughs> the, fun, the fascinating thing about this for me, Jim, is how all these younger candidates who got in anyway were courting Bernie Sanders over the past couple of years, assuming he wouldn't do this again because of his age, uh, basically looking for the Bernie blessing because he came so close to the nomination. You know, your Warrens and your Bookers and your maybe even your Klobuchars. And uh, then he gets in and these people are still running anyway, and he's probably going to beat most, if not all of them. Greg, I picture him saying, I have looked at you. I have listened to you. I have carefully considered who you are and what you stand for. And you're all terrible. None of you are good enough. None of you are me. None of you will stand up against the millionaires and the billionaires and the big banks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the upside of Bernie Sanders getting the nomination is I get to do that impression for you know a couple months and hopefully it stops then because yes. I don't want to do it for four to eight years. Exactly right. Well, Klobuchar was out because now he knows that she carries a comb and well, Bernie has, <laughs> has no use for that. Yeah, use mine. I don't need it. It never, never makes a difference. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. All right, let's move on to our second bad martini now. And uh, in a crowded presidential field, you're always looking for a way to stand out. And that was the effort from former Housing Secretary Julian Castro yesterday, Tuesday. Fox News 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Julian Castro Tuesday called for illegal immigration to no longer be treated as a criminal matter. Quote, the truth is immigrants seeking refuge in our country aren't a threat to national security. Migration shouldn't be a criminal justice issue. It's time to end this draconian policy and return to treating immigration as a civil, not a criminal issue, he said. Castro, who has made his opposition to President Trump's immigration policies a cornerstone of his campaign, published his proposal on Medium. He says it's a policy that puts people first. Jim obviously is looking for some attention here, uh, but for the party that insists it's not really open borders, wow. Yeah, you know, my first thought in response to that is um, if you have 10 million or 11 million illegal immigrants in this country, is our policy really all that draconian? <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd think if it was draconian, we, we'd be catching these people. <laughs> we, we, you know, if you've got 11 million people slip through, that is, that is, a, uh, that is not a, uh, 
uh, a, a, you know, iron barrier or, or something like that. It's, you know, that's, it's a screen door at most. It's not a, uh, it's, you know, it's not something uh, horrific. Um, I, I guess I should give a, a, our traditional molecule of credit to Julian Castro because you have, for a lot of times when you get into these immigration debates, no one's arguing for open borders, you silly, paranoid right-wingers. Well, I mean, here's Castro saying you should be able to enter this country illegally with no consequence. Uh, that, we, that ultimately, in the end, we should not limit who comes in. There should be you no know, criminal penalties. You want to come in, come in. Now, I, 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 I'd love to see him lay this out in more detail and you know, put, it, put out a white paper, put out some, the, the, submit it in legislation, show us how this would work. Because, uh, you know, would you have to go through any background check? Would it be just you stand in the line and we, you know, scan the passport or something? You know, how exactly would this work? Um, and the idea that, you know, that, that, you know, no one who crosses the border represents a threat is just you know, unbelievably naive. But again, this is also, I think, where the Democratic Party has been going to. And even the folks who have been um, very critical of this administration, like David Fromm, have asked the question, so Democrats, how much immigration is okay? How much immigration is too much? And do you believe in a barrier? And I think once you get into your, when you see the people who start citing the poem at the Statue of Liberty as the core philosophy is our immigration policy and not say the law, you begin the idea that they really don't believe anyone who wants to come to America should ever be denied from entering America. And I don't know if that's, I I would disagree with that. I, I simply don't think that your desire to come to America you might become a great American. You might not become a great American. The absolute worst case, you know, the absolute minimum, we got to run a background check on you. Got to check to make sure you're not a terrorist. Got to make sure you're not a uh, smuggler or drug dealer, or gang member, or some sort of you know threat to to the people who live here. But then the second thing is, I think it's I don't think there's anything selfish or uh, uh, morally wrong about saying, okay, if you want to come here, what do you add? What do you bring? Are you willing to work hard? Are you willing to obey the law? Are you willing to uh, assimilate to a greater culture? We have a very diverse culture in this country. We have all kinds of people have always been welcome for, you know, for, for many, many years. But if, let's say, you believe in, um, <laughs> let's say, jihad, you know, if you, don't, if you don't believe in religious freedom, you really don't belong here. You, you really can't. You're, it's not going to work. If you don't believe in equal rights for women, you're going to have problems in the United States of America. And I don't think there's anything wrong for us saying, look, if you can't live by our terms, you're not allowed in. That's, that's just basic, straightforward. Um, I notice that Democrats don't you know, want to get too deep into these issues because I think they just feel like even, even having the discussion is somehow inherently xenophobic, that there's something inherently hateful about it. Um, so I guess I give a little bit of credit to Julian Castro for, for putting on the table what I suspect a lot of Democrats want in their hearts. Um, I hope that this is openly debated. I think if you know, if the 2020 election comes down to should it be illegal to country to enter this country without permission, uh, I think the odds of Trump winning are pretty darn good. I love the last line of the Hill story on this. The unveiling of Castro's immigration platform comes as he struggles to rise from the bottom of polls of the crowded Democratic field. So, Jim, as you've mentioned about Julian Castro on Twitter before, sometimes he opens his mouth just to basically say, hey, I'm still here. The subtext of every announcement from the Julian Castro campaign is, I exist. And remember that. I I have enjoyed making fun of Julian Castro since he was the keynote speaker at the 2012 Democratic National Convention. But on my my softer moments, my kindler and gentler moments, I do feel a little bit bad for him in that he was the it boy, right? He he, he was... (laughs) 
<laughs> Greg, I can tell you, those of us with long memories will tell you, Julian Castro was the Pete Buttigieg of his day. Um, <laughs> before there was Beto, there was another young Democrat in Texas that got everybody's pulses racing with excitement. Um, and, and then his, you know, he went to HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and it was like the Witness Protection Program. He just disappeared. And uh, that's what happens. You notice we haven't heard from, from Ben Carson in like months, you know. Um, that's the idea. Oh, he needs Washington experience if he's going to be Hillary's running mate. Well, obviously, he ended up not being Hillary Clinton's running mate. And for perspective, who was Hillary Clinton's <laughs> running mate? <laughs> Tim Kaine, the senator from Virginia, who, let's face it, a decent number of Virginians periodically forget that he's our senator. <laughs> but to our credit, he has rocketed to the top of least embarrassing officials elected statewide. <laughs> Competing with Mark Warner. So. Not uh, that's where they So yeah, I do feel occasionally bad for Julian Castro. When he leaves the race, everyone will write like a two-sentence two AP summary. I will write a long magnum <laughs> opus about the rise and fall of Julian Castro. And look, who knows? He is the lone Latino on the debate stage right now. And I think that should not be totally underestimated. Um, but again, I, I also think that he has a... Um, the, the irony is, I think, he's, by by the standards of most elected officials, he's actually fairly charismatic and he's pretty easily likable. I think my favorite story is when he was mayor of San Antonio. He bet some, you know, high school team that if they won the city championship, he would dye his hair yellow. And then they went and did it, uh, and he went he went ahead and dyed his hair yellow and posted it up on Instagram and and social media. And he said, "Look, I did this to tell the kids a message uh, that one, it's important to keep your word, and two, that you know, if you believe in yourself, anything's possible." Um, so he's, he's, you know, there's a lot to like about the guy. I just think he, he's far left. And um, uh, it's kind of fascinating how, how much the ground shifted underneath his feet from 2012 to today. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's uh, go to our crazy martini now, Jim. And this is so crazy that Jim Comey is the voice of reason in this martini. Yes. So Christian Amanpour is still with CNN, apparently, and she was interviewing the former FBI director about a number of things, including the Mueller investigation, said that he had no reason to doubt the integrity of Bill Barr, so I'm sure the liberals are going to start hating him again. And then this was the last question uh, that Christian Amanpour gave to Jim Comey and his answer. Because you just said lock her up um, uh, or lock me up. Of course, lock her up was a feature of the 2016 um, Trump campaign. Do you, in retrospect, wish that people like yourself, the head of the FBI, I mean, the people in charge of law and order, had shut down that language, that it was dangerous potentially, that it could have created violence, that it's kind of hate speech? Should that have been allowed? That's not a role for government to play. The beauty of this country is people can say what they want, even if it's misleading and, and it's demagoguery. The people who should have shut it down were Republicans who understand the rule of law and the values that they claim to stand for. Shame on them, but it wasn't a role for government to play. You're the one who explained to us all the ways that she violated the law but didn't rise to prosecution, apparently. Jim, I, I could articulate my reaction to Christian Amanpour, but I think Lindsey Graham last fall did it better than I could. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. 
I hope the American people can see through this champ. There you go. Yeah. So shut down that. I'm sorry. Shut down that language, as uh, Christiana Monfort puts it. How? Uh, it should not be allowed. By whom? It, 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 I, I almost, you know, Comey, like, you know, as you mentioned, Comey gives the right answer here. It's not the FBI's job, not the government's job to tell you what you can and can't say, what you can and can't uh, chant. Uh, the It's almost hate speech. I mean, you're never going to find a more elastic <laughs> definition, uh, a, a, more, more, a better example of how elastic the definition of hate speech is. Because if that's hate speech, if lock her up is hate speech, Greg, how about when um, Joe Wilson said that you know, Carl Rove is going to be frog marched off in, in handcuffs, right? You know, I mean, is, is there really any fun? You know, all the people who have speculated, oh, Mueller. Um, oh, I know there was a um, it was a pretty funny sketch on, on uh, the Corbin show with, with Shaggy as Trump. And it ends with Mueller taking away Trump in handcuffs. Nobody went to the two and they sing a song to the tune of wasn't me and all that kind of stuff. Um, which, by the way, like I thought it was really funny at the time, and I, you know, but I also kind of what was going on. I was like, is this what people think is really going to happen? Is is this really what they think that Mueller is going to have? You know, this Scooby Doo esque pull off the mask? <laughs> it was old man Trump all along, you know, type revelation, and you know, or old man Putin, you know, and and you know that that Trump would be taken away and locked up in jail. That's what the you know the, the crazy conspiracy theorists on on Twitter were saying. But did the rank and fall general public really seem to think this sort of thing? But you know, on the other hand, there's not like Corbin and Shaggy and everybody else are committing a crime by depicting Donald Trump getting arrested. And I don't see a world of difference between you know imagining it and making a funny song and sketch about it versus chanting "lock her up, lock her up." I can understand if you're Hillary Clinton, it's you know it makes you uncomfortable. I can understand if you're a Hillary supporter, if it makes you uncomfortable. You know what? Political speech is going to make you uncomfortable. Because you know, restricting speech in order to make you comfortable, first of all, all it all depends on who's on the eye, eye of the beholder. And once you start opening up that door to censorship, man, oh man, it spreads really fast. So the assessment of Lindsey Graham is, is correct. The, the questioning of Christiana Monpour is so fascinating that I'd love to see somebody uh, interview her and, and try to explore her thoughts at length of what exactly she thought the FBI or some other government entity should have done to shut down or not allow uh, chants and comments that she, she characterized as hate speech and therefore, I, I assume, not constitutionally. But like, I mean, Greg, wouldn't you love to, Maybe we should do this on this podcast right here. Christiana Monpour, I believe I met you at some National Press Club event years and years ago. You seem like a nice woman. Let's, Greg and I would love to invite you to go to the National Archives. And there's this thing called the Constitution there. And it's got a First Amendment. And I'd love to show it to you. And I'd love to sort through how you think it should work, because you seem to think the government should step in when certain political rhetoric uh, strikes you as as too hot, as too incendiary uh, and somehow dangerous. And, and you know, Greg, I, I, I think we'd agree that's not the role of government. Love to talk about it with her. Um, you know, and, and I think all of it would be probably be very clarifying. So, uh, Ms. Amanpour, anytime you want, we're open. Do you think it's isolated to her, though? Because, I mean, you've already got laws out in California and maybe elsewhere, certainly in some cities, uh, telling people what pronouns they can and can't use uh, when it comes to gender identity and so forth. You've got other people out there thinking it ought to be illegal for people to deny the consensus on on climate science and so forth. So uh, is it really isolated to her? I mean, it seems like if you don't go along with the liberal orthodoxy, uh, your opinion is not welcome in polite society. 
mean, Greg, you and I would not have to go far to find examples of speech or artwork or, or whatever you want to characterize that offend us. Sure. Um, the, the artwork Piss Christ by Robert Mablethorpe comes to mind. There was a uh, Virgin Mary portrait that involved dung at some New York museum way back when. I think both of those are... Uh, I know the artist might have said it was meant to make some grand statement about blah, blah, blah. Um, that strikes me as a yan you know, Christians, look what we're doing to your symbols. But you know what? Constitution protects that, right? I got I to gotta, you know, you know, not visit that museum. I, gotta, I can complain about the NEA. But, you know, there's, there's various – basically there's nothing in the Constitution that says uh, Jim is allowed to go somehow try to, to you know, punish people who say things that he doesn't like. Um, and that's, you know, this, this is kind of this broad culture agreement we're supposed to have stuff that offends you uh, until it gets into, you know, there are certain restrictions on pornography. There are certain restrictions on incendiary speech, which, oh, by the way, the, the Supreme Court has laid out really clear, specific. It's got to be straight up. Let's go kill that guy kind of incendiary speech. It can't be that guy over there is a bad guy. And as a result of it, you feel like that person feels threatened or something like that. Um, this, this is not, you know, we didn't, we, this didn't appear today and this isn't the first time we've had controversial speech in this country. This isn't the first time we've had offensive speech in this country. Uh, and the great irony is that I'd say from the baby boomers on, there's been this steady march of you. No, no, we were going to expand the parameters of acceptable speech. We were going to expand the terms of what you were ready to say. Somebody being offended was not enough. Um, to say, no, we're going to have the government step in and you can't do that. And it's kind of fascinating. There's a whole bunch of people who simply do not accept that. Uh, and then there's just kind of one last wrinkle I'll throw into this. Um, you think, look back to the controversy of the Muhammad cartoons and, and the number of bookstores that would not stock the magazine that featured it, the number of newspapers that would not run the cartoons. Uh, we had this enormous national debate about blasphemy, about whether there was something that was too offensive, too incendiary to be seen by the public's eyes. But a lot of places that call themselves big defenders of the First Amendment would not run that because they were afraid of, my suspicion is they were afraid of violence and retaliation. That's a heckler's veto, right? That, that's getting to a much more dangerous area. Um, so my, I kind of wonder, though, if, like, if that somehow, once the First Amendment became negotiable in that situation, Lots of other people looked at that example and said, huh, well, you know what? If people think you're dangerous enough, if people think the consequences are scary enough, they will self-censor. They will avoid printing things that offend you. Uh, and I kind of wonder if we've seen that on a much larger scale across large swaths of society. Very well stated. And I think the last 50 plus years of the left in America is we must have the opportunity to have our voices heard. It's our constitutional right. And then once their uh, outlandish views get more of a mainstream following, well, those of you who disagree with this, you're just uh, you're just outside of the mainstream, yeah, I mean, and you can't be part of polite to society. Their power now that they are largely in positions of power, they don't want to. It's, it's okay. It's time to undo that. Yeah. Free speech has served its purpose. Now we're in charge. It's time to undo that. And um, you know, if you don't see some cynicism there, I'd say you're blind. But then somebody would probably say I'm being offensive to blind people. <laughs> Jim, excellent, excellent job, and we'll do it again tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll still be allowed to speak. Greg, is it only Wednesday? It is. It is. Oh, my goodness. But tomorrow's the new Jets uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell everyone the future is so bright. We got to wear shades. Oh, no. It's just the glare. <laughs> Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.